Welcome to A Pint With Nature. Take a look at the lawman beating up the wrong guy. Oh man, wonder if he'll ever know. He's in the best-selling show. Is there life on Mars? Wow, yes. amazing. Great vocals. I, really, I, great I got one, into yeah. that one, so I really, I really did get yeah. into that one. Yeah, it's, it's, no, it's no easy feat attempting uh, David Bowie. So I, I hope I did him, uh, did him proud. Yeah, you did. <laughs> uh, we'll let him know. We'll let him, oh, oh, sorry. Too soon. Welcome to another episode <laughs> of A Pint with Nature. <laughs> and well, you're in for a special treat this week because we've got Cowan squared. <laughs> That's right. We've not just got Sorrel Cowan, but we've got his brother too. Ten. Hello. Welcome to the show. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, you're very welcome, my friend. Very welcome. We're pleased to have you. We are. And uh, you are, of course, Sorrel's brother, but you do have a reason for being here. You, 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 you have a specialist topic. Yes, I would say, uh, yeah, it's a specialist topic. Well, I won't introduce it, I'll let you do that, but I'm a chemist at my university, and I take a little dabble in uh, uh, astrophysics from time to time. So a little, a little toe dip in the water. Yeah. A toe dip in the water of, of astrophysics. Oh, that, yes. you know, just, just a little bit. Well, if that didn't give it away a little bit, this week it's uh, it's going to be out of this world because we are drinking dark star beers and we will be talking all about life outside of Earth. But before we get into that. Let me tell you a little bit about Dark Star. Well, it's, it's weird, really, because I I hadn't really heard of it before now, despite the fact it's been around since 1994. Oh, but yeah. started in the basement of a public house in Brighton and has since turned itself into a brewery with 45 barrels long of capacity, going through 20,000 barrels of beer a year. And in 2018, it was bought by Fuller's. Actually, what I didn't know is that Fuller's is uh, is no longer actually a, a British company. What? It was actually bought in 2019 by, uh, do you know, Asahi, the Japanese beer mm. company. Oh, yeah. So Darkstar is actually now officially owned by uh, a Japanese uh, brewery. But it is still produced here in the UK, down south, and they are apparently enthusiastic about the characteristic style of hoppy beers and yeah. they have been perfecting it for years and have produced some some rather nice beers. We're having slightly different beers this week, aren't we? Because I'm having Hophead. Explains the hoppiness. It's, well, yes, it is very it is very hoppy, Sorrel. But it's very it's very nice. It'd be quite I'm a quite disappointment impressed. if that beer if they called it Hophead and it wasn't. You'd be really let yeah, down. That is true. That is true. But hoppy is definitely a word. What does hoppy even mean? Uh, when you've got a lot of hops. <laughs> <laughs> But do you, I don't actually think I know what hops taste like. We say hoppy because we know it's in beer, but, you know, I, w- I would consider ourselves not beer experts, but uh, beer connoisseurs. That's how mm. I'd say, that's what I'd say we are. Yeah, uh, we, we come this... each episode with that spit bucket, you know, like in wine tasting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little yeah. swoosh around the mouth, we get a little, little smell. Yeah, the real the real beer connoisseurs don't waste any. Uh, we, we know that. <laughs> oh, no, we drink the bucket afterwards. Yeah, or the mixture. <laughs> 
But anyway, which one are you guys drinking? We've got just classic. It doesn't have a. It's got from the Dark Star, but doesn't have a uh, fancy name. Just one. Just a session IPA. It's general session IPA, but still really nice. And the can is lovely. Can's lovely. Can's it's almost better than textured. the textured. Textured can. Yeah. Almost as flavoursome as the beer. Mm. Well, I hope you enjoy uh, your beers this week, boys. But I think it's probably time to uh, to talk about a bit of uh, a bit of nature. Well, we'll start with a little opening from our dabbling astrophysicist. <laughs> what have you got for us? Well, this is a this is a hard topic. I had a lot of thoughts when this came up, and just thinking there's a lot to talk about when you talk about nature and space, and you talk about animals in space and aliens and everything. And there's a lot you can talk about. It's difficult to pinpoint everything. But then when we were doing our little research, it's difficult because we don't know that there's any life in space. Yeah, it's tricky. Yeah, we know that obviously the Earth was around around 4.5 billion years ago, and that life on Earth from what we know, was around 3.4 billion years ago. That's the only record we have of life ever, is from then, obviously, until now. So this was difficult. So it made me think about, obviously, the, the formation of life on Earth here and the different theories with that and anything that comes with that, with the theories that could be uh, applied to the other planets that we know of. Let us, oh. in, let us into your little theories <laughs> of, how, of how life started here. Well, we've got that, unless you believe in God or... Uh, creator. Then we uh, we have the uh, the idea of the primordial soup and the uh, other theory of life coming to us from another planet, which from a meteoroid or some other cause with life flying through space, frozen in time and everything. This is quite exciting. But we don't have a theory of how life started or how life formed, other than either lightning or a massive event that would spark something to create life. So this is a little bit tricky because keep thinking about all of this stuff and the chances of the earth being in the right spot and all of these little conditions that need to come about for life to actually start. The chances of life being around are very, very small. So it's almost like you can say there's almost a possibility that we are the first. And only. A first and only life that has ever existed. Now now here's, here's a question for you guys. Which is scarier? The idea that there is life out there or the idea that there is nothing else out there? I think the idea that there's nothing else out there. I agree. I think that's scarier. Yeah. Mm. Because you look out there and I don't think it's really hard to even comprehend how if if nothing was out there and you look up into space... You go, wow! I mean, I mean nothing. This is this is all. This is I'm so tiny. This is God. That's, that's even scarier. Yeah. Especially at your height, so. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. Hey, but at my height, I can see more stars. So. What? Mm. Yeah. Facts. What? Well, obviously, I'm further away from the sky, so obviously, I've got oh, a so wider, more of a, a wider peripheral. Yeah. I see. I see. Oh, you've got me. <laughs> but I can see more of the bugs on the ground. True, true. So, <laughs> <laughs> who's winning then? That's the nature expert. <laughs> well, there is. Oh, we thing. know you're looking at nothing, Sorrel. Yeah, yeah. From what we just said, at least you can see what you're looking at. <laughs> well, there is one thing I can confirm, and that is that there have been animals in space, other than obviously humans. Obviously, we know Neil Armstrong, first man on the moon, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. But there have been other organisms that was have that, been into space. Was, was that Neil Armstrong? Did you just, did you say Neil Armstrong right there? I know. I know. Is he I'm with us today? Inspiring as him, <laughs> wow. I you know, crazy. I came up with that quote on the spot just now. Did you? That's, that's amazing. <laughs> wow. That really want, that makes me want to go to the moon. <laughs> I know. 
Oh, would you go on one of those uh, tourist ones? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Be amazing. Oh, <laughs> Just go to space. Or one of those one-way trips to Mars? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not as advertising. But let me tell you, that there are animals in space as we speak, even. So, as recent as the 3rd of June, 2021, so we're talking this month, SpaceX launched a load of tardigrades, which we mentioned before on the show, water bears, you might remember from the uh, Bears Island episode, and Hawaiian bobtail squid into space to the International Space Station. And the reason they've launched these tardigrades is yeah. because, as you might remember, go on, sorry, what were you going to say? Well, why, why squid? I was going to ask more. Well, we'll, we, get that, we'll, yeah. we'll get to that in a second. Sorry, I'm rushing it. I'm rushing it. <laughs> sorry. Somewhere, yeah, sorry. sorry. Yeah. Apologies. Honestly, I can't remember where I was now. Let's just start again. Take a look <laughs> at the lawnmower. <laughs> no, so the reason the tardigrades were taken up is because you might remember us mentioning that they are one of the sturdiest animals on earth if not the sturdiest they can be found in volcanic craters they've been found in some of the coldest places on earth and the hottest places in earth and so they want to see can these things survive in space and of course it is a good question because the conditions in space are not good you know you've got the, the extra uv from not having the atmosphere you've got the conditions in space just, <laughs> the conditions in space just aren't good for life. It's like, who would have thought? You go to TripAdvisor, yeah. under space, it's just got... You've got... Good? You've got Stephen and his wife Matilda on holiday, zero out of five stars. I couldn't breathe. Conditions are not good. <laughs> yeah, conditions are not good. Exactly. But you've got, you've got can tardigrades deal with zero gravity, with the extra UV, with the different temperatures? Can they survive that? And so far, as far as we, we're aware... They have. And you asked about the squid, so the Hawaiian bobtail squid. Well, they were launched as hatchlings, so actually they probably haven't hatched yet. So actually the, there's not actually squid on the ISS right now, the International Space Station. But when they do hatch, they're hoping to see if they can still incorporate their symbiotic bacteria into what is known as their light organ, because these, mm. these squid have an organ that emits light because of a symbiotic relationship with this bacteria. And they want to see if that can still happen in space. Wow. And of course, that's important because it's seeing if these relationships can still maintain themselves when the environment is completely different. Yeah. Um, uh, you talk about uh, relationships in space and maintaining them. I decided to look at... I have no idea where you're going with no. this. <laughs> this could be anything. <laughs> I decided. I decided to to have a look into because I remember doing a fact. I think we did when we did the altitude one about um, cockroaches conceiving in space. Because I was oh, like, yeah. if life has to exist in space, life has to be created in space, right? Unless we go back to your theory turn of uh, coming from an asteroid of somewhere else, then it was created somewhere else. But another theory that yeah could exist there. Well, have have humans conceived in space? Because we know humans have have definitely been into space because we as a species have sent them there there's a really interesting experiment that happened back in 1996 so us and russia have both sent astronauts in separate missions for research in how humans can have sex in space because human beings have to survive might have to survive years in orbit in the future or years on a shuttle to mars no not to mars years on a shuttle further than mars mars is only eight months away it's just next door. Yeah. In 1996, there was a mission codename STS-XX. Oh. Now, I think that if they're trying to codename a mission, 
that that's a terrible code name to go for because you could have had so much more fun with that. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Open up your options. Don't just do some letters. <laughs> it was to explore sexual positions that were possible in a weightless atmosphere because in in space, obviously, there's no gravity. Now, after a computer t- uh, simulation, they found the ten best positions. <laughs> The results were obviously... This is where our taxpayers' money's going. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They tested them out, these ten positions. Only four positions were found possible without mechanical assistance. The other six required a special elastic belt or a little inflatable tube that (laughs) that the two people were in. But the main finding that they took away was that the missionary position, which is the standard one... (laughs) Level one, let's say. Level one. one. (laughs) It's not possible in space. And that's because it requires gravity. So the difficulties come when you apply Newton's third law. If the couple remained together, their movements will just counter each other. So that means their actions will never change velocity unless they are affected by another unattached object. Mad. But yeah, I thought it was interesting to bring a point to... Life has to be, you could almost say life has to be created in space for it to, for it to be there. So, but obviously from, from your theory earlier, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily. Yeah, I don't know. Mine is one of the theories that just comes from uh, just a difficulty of finding out how life started. Because we still don't know. We still don't know how we came about or how anything happened. Some, some people have tried experiments on the conditions that were about back then. Some guy mixed some methane, ammonia, hydrogen and water together zapped it with some electricity and it made all the amino acids that are possible to create life. He managed to do that, but that then needs another starting factor to create life and you need then a membrane for the cells, otherwise that doesn't work. So they tested it with oil droplets and water droplets to try and recreate a membrane that possibly could have happened. But it's still completely shrouded in mystery. There's no confirmed theory of how life obviously existed apart from God, of course. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this theory about uh, meteoroid with frozen amino acids on it based just comes from, there is, I think, a theory. I don't actually know it. Just that it comes from a meteoroid, that there were these frozen amino acids and they just landed on Earth and then they created the primordial soup or they just landed and they were put into this condition that allowed them to start life. And then it kind of birthed from there, obviously starting with bacteria and then evolving from then on to get to us. It's a huge step to make, isn't it? Massive. From single-celled organisms to, I don't know, Well, not even single-celled organisms. It's from proteins alone to us. Yeah. Well, obviously, even further back from that, it's just atoms of everything. Yeah. Oh, oh. Yeah. (laughs) Full physics there. Yeah, you can can tell you're a physicist there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but what's what's your guys... Do you believe that there is life on other planets? Um, yeah say yes i mean so i've been having a look at what has there been found so far and as you've already said there's been nothing found so i had a look at sort of what proof is there that there could potentially be life and there definitely is so for example sort of photographs of mars and rovers on mars have shown proof of there being water in the past certainly they haven't actually found water there yet but they've certainly found proof of there being water in the past on mars and of course water is a Mm. is a uh, what's the word? Fundamental aspect of biological existence. Mm. Yeah, I like that. So right. I mean, that that's beautifully put, to be honest. So as a result, you know, it is very possible that something could have lived there. And in fact, they've found on, I believe it's some of the rocks on Mars. They found biological compounds. So that comp- compounds that they think 
can only be produced by biological organisms. Or they can produce, be produced by other means, but we just haven't found it yet. There is another example of this, and that is actually Venus, which is, you will probably see it in the night sky, is one of the brightest, if not the brightest, other than maybe Mars, of all the planets in our sky. It's so close, but also in, their, in the atmosphere of Venus, there is a gas known as phosphine, and it's a toxic gas that's produced by microorganisms. And we have not found a way, other than by microorganisms on Earth, that explain how this gas can be created. Wow. But it's certainly been found that there is phosphine on Venus. And this was actually researchers at MIT as well. So it's, you know, pretty, pretty high mm. up university. And they said, as crazy as it might sound, our most plausible explanation for this phosphine is life. Wow. wow. So there you go. But, I mean, when you look at Venus as a place to live, Again, mm. I don't think that the trip advisor is going to be uh, <laughs> no very 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 positive. <laughs> what, what, what was it? The uh, conditions. The conditions not, are just not no, good. Not good. <laughs> One star. Good. It, it, it's it's, uh, it's it's pretty hot on Venus. It's so um, hot. It's hotter than yeah, Mercury. It is how hot yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? To give you an idea, it is four hundred and seventy-five degrees Celsius. Wow. So you you'd come home with a pretty good tan. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, maybe they, maybe they'll give it two out of five for that. Then two out of five stars. <laughs> yeah. really great tan. Great tan. Poor conditions. Good conditions free. not good. Toxic great tan. Great tan. <laughs> <laughs> two out of five. <laughs> We're talking about toxic compounds. I had to another just take it back a bit to talk about possibilities of how life can can be in space. One of the theories they have is that life exists that is arsenic-based. Now, arsenic is one of the most iconic poisonous compounds on Earth, but it is is very chemically similar to phosphorus, and we know phosphorus is one of the most important parts of DNA. Mm. Now, there's evidence that arsenic was in DNA before phosphorus was. You know, you're talking about tardigrades existing at the most extreme environments where you've got um life was thought to have been around first at hydrothermal vents in the original oceans where the environments were extreme and it was actually easier for these organ these microorganisms there to obtain arsenic than it was phosphorus so there's evidence there that you know toxic compounds or compounds that don't seem like they should even be involved in in creating life could be creating life elsewhere just in in different ways than what we than what we know that's very interesting especially from a chemical standpoint because phosphorus is used in a lot everything right yeah Yeah. it's very important for what we do now anyway yeah in construction of compounds and everything yeah Mm. that's weird to think that arsenic would be part of a biological molecule because if you eat arsenic it's not like you're suddenly going to get like proper strong dna no (laughs) You're just going to die. Yeah. So it's weird to think that that could be in, embedded into our DNA at some point and also be causing complex biological life mm. in, in space, out elsewhere from Earth. What would it look like? Oh, that's the big question, <laughs> isn't it? That's the big question we've not talked about yet. What would, li- what mm. would life in space look like? I reckon small. I reckon you're talking microscopic at the moment. Certainly on the places we can see, like the actual planets we can see. Sure, if there was something like the size of an elephant... Yeah. I feel like we've spotted it by now. You know? yeah. Yeah. But actually, having said that, there have been people who've claimed in the past to have spotted bizarre creatures on uh, just on our moon, you know, as close as that. In 1835, for example, the New York Sun actually published six articles which described discoveries of various creatures on the moon. This included 
animals that look like bison, goats, <laughs> unicorns, tailless beavers, and even flying bat people. Mm. Wow, yeah. So I don't believe don't believe the first the first few, but the flying bat people for sure. They definitely exist on the moon. Oh yeah. yeah. That's probably closest to what we'd we would like in the films would have us believe life on other planets looked like. Just like us yeah. would just like add something weird in there. Yeah. Well, isn't that like, what the the guy that sits on the DreamWork moon, isn't he a bat person? What? Gotta be. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. because <laughs> yeah. well, he has those balloons, but then he lets them all go, and he's still stuck on the moon. Yeah. So, uh, so he, he obviously has to be able to fly. Mm. He has to be a bat person to get down. Yeah. <laughs> There's no other explanation. If you really don't believe that those animals exist on the, on the moon, then you're having to disagree with all those brilliant people that spotted those wonderful animals. Yeah. But there actually probably is life on the moon. It's another form of life that we probably brought there, though. Transformers, yes. yes. Oh. Transformers, Dark Side. Oh, yeah, yeah, Dark Side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not on the moon anymore, though, are they? Are they life? Are Transformers life? No, well, they're robots. <laughs> 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 but no, it's not Transformers I was talking about, sorry. Well, we go back to the tardigrades there. There was this Israeli spacecraft that was flown in uh, 2019 that crashed on the moon, and it had a lot of DNA, genetic material, and it had thousands of tardigrades on it that were already pre-dehydrated. Uh, but it crashed. It crashed on the moon. So these dehydrated tardigrades, unknowingly, are just spread all over the moon wow. wherever this uh, spacecraft crashed. And wow. they're probably still alive. If they were pre-dehydrated, they're just surviving with no water and they're waiting for more water to come along. So we've got to go back up and pour a cup of water on them before they're alive again. But <laughs> Send the alarms going back up <laughs> with it's a like jug of water. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Emergency like mission saved the tardigrades. <laughs> It's like, did you ever have sea monkeys? Like, you just had water. And, like, the ones that like, oh, yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, that was one of the examples, yeah, I was going to give, was the, the tardigrades crash landing. But there is another reason that there might be some life on, on the moon. Because when the Apollo astronauts left, they left 96 bags of human waste that were vacuum-packed. And it is very possible that... No, wait, were they even... They might not be vacuum-packed. They left 96 bags of human waste that probably in the future someone's going to have to go up there and clean it. But at the moment, there are 96 bags of human waste on the moon that potentially have microbes from our astronauts in them. 90... Yeah, how... 96 bags? How long were they yeah, there I for? Yeah, I thought that yeah. was a little high as well. Like, So are they dumping their waste from their whole journey? Because that's yeah, very like, environmentally unfriendly. Uh, yeah. We'd be against that. Or are they all having eight poos when they're on the surface? <laughs> Imagine them all accident, <laughs> accidentally, they accidentally pull in their like poo flap on their astronaut astronaut suit. Oh uh, yeah, just let all of the air let all, pressurise their, their air out. Uh. <laughs> you know what, Sorrel? I don't reckon that you had a load of astronauts squatting on the moon. No, no. I think they had to jettison it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. They were probably doing experiments where they were testing the gravity on the moon. To see how far can they fling a bag of poo. <laughs> oh, no, that's actually a horrible thought. All these on the moon, but actually they're not on the moon. They're just like floating, just sort of like around it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All, orbiting <laughs> bags of poo. Yeah. Nice. So imagine, imagine a spe- and the next craft came to land and it came in too hot and just hit these orbiting bags of poo. Well, this, this, this episode has been, has not been of the same... Uh, High brow of our previous episode, so we, we've, we've, no, no. Your your brother has clearly tainted our uh, 
our once innocent podcast. Yeah, clearly brought, brought us down a level to poo and sex and rock and roll. <laughs> I, I think there's only one way that we can recover the episode, really, so I think it's time for the pipe with nature fact off. <laughs> Saved. Into the fact off, then. So, first things first, announce the fact off winner from last week. And I have to say, I have to say, hey, you've you've done it again. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Well done. Well Get done, mate. In. Yeah. I'll take yeah. it. So what's the score now? So it's four two. Four, four two. two. You come. Oh, you coming back? Can't There's win. Still two. You can. Oh no, I could win. We could draw. I could draw. I could draw. You could draw. You can't win. Yeah. But I'd have to beat Tenniel. Yeah. Which is which is unheard of mm. on apartment nature to beat the guest. Yeah. The guest probability is. The guest probability is. <laughs> Certain. <laughs> <laughs> Maths especially can't since... disprove a guest winning. So, <laughs> Especially since he's basically Sorrel 2.0. So yeah. he's just like, going to have all your facts look better. So if 10 wins, does that mean I get the win as well? Is that what you're trying to say? Oh, no, no, no. Definitely. No, it means you failed. And your parents did better the second time around. If at first you don't succeed, <laughs> try and try again. <laughs> anyway, 10. So you'll go first as the guest. Off you go. Fact number one. Right, so for my first fact, I want you guys to close your eyes. It's oh, yeah. a bit of a, an imagining session. I yeah. love imagining sessions every day. So you're in a really protective heat suit, okay? So you're imagining that. Mm. And now a day, so a day cycle, instead of being one day, is now 58 days of sun, constant Ooh. sun, okay? But a year is shortened to 88 days, okay? Very confusing yeah. for your brain. So in two years, you will only have three days, okay? Right. Now in the hottest days of those two years, you will be very, very close to the sun. But don't worry, the heat protective suit's got you. Now, you may possibly encounter, you may have to open your eyes for this, but when you get to the really hottest summary part of the two years, your orbital velocity, right? Because I, I, I'm sure you've guessed by now that you're on Mercury. Yeah, of course. Right. We, we both guessed that, didn't we? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah straight away. Yeah, straight away. Your yeah. orb- orbital velocity, so your days, is greater, obviously, than your rotational speed. You have three days in two years. Mm. So when you get really close to the sun, there's going to be this phenomenon where the sun's going to rise, and during these next eight days, so what's that? Nearly three years. It's going to rise, and it's going to fall back in the same direction that it rose, and then it's going to double back, and it's going to rise normally again. It's what you get as a double sunrise, is what you can experience on Mercury. That's my first fact as a space fact. Wow. Nice little imagining session for you all there. So if life existed on Mercury, we'd be having double sunrises. Yeah, you get the sun rising and then during an eight-day period, it gets nearly to midday and it falls all the way back and then rises again. Wow. Just because of the speed of the orbit. Well, that's quite a cool fact. But it happens really slowly, I'm guessing, mm. given it's, what was it, 50s? Yeah, over days. an eight-day period. That's how it happens. And that's three days, two years, five years-ish. It's still eight days. So years. eight days, mm. if I went to Mercury right now for eight days and I came back, to earth how old would i be you would be eight days older <laughs> i'd be eight days older oh but i've been there for like what like you said like five years nearly oh is this It'd be is three this... it's three mercury years yes yeah, so you've rotated the sun or orbited the sun for so is this like in, is this like oh. that stuff that goes on in interstellar where mm. you could be on mercury for eight days but everyone else on earth is aged five years so you come back and you're only eight days older but everyone else is six years older we should try it yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's the There's only one way to find out. Yeah. <laughs> You've got those heat sticks on standby, haven't you? Mm. Huh? 
Oh, very good, very good. I like that sunset fact. Right, well, I guess as the, the winner of last week, so I guess I should probably go next. Yeah. So, the longest amount of time spent in lunar orbit is 147 hours and 43 minutes. And that went round the moon 75 times in the spacecraft. And there was an astronaut called Ronald Evans on there, but along with him holding this record for the longest amount of time spent in lunar orbit is five mice called Fee, Fi, Fo, Fum, and Fui. <laughs> and it was on the Apollo 17 mission. They went around 75 times, as I, as I said. One of the male mice unfortunately died during the trip, and all the others survived. Which one died? Until they... Oh, which one? Oh, I don't know, actually. I don't know whether it was Fee, Fi, Fo, Fum, or Fui. Because then one of those... The giant chant gets messed up, doesn't it? The what? Because you know how you go, Fee, Fi, Fo, Fum. <laughs> if mm. Fo dies, and you're going, Fee, Fi, Fum, Fui, who's Fo? Who smells the, the effect, bird of an English... That's probably why they didn't mention the name. Fui. They didn't ruin the chant. Yeah, yeah. It's just going to ruin the song. <laughs> but... The other four did survive until they were brought back to Earth and all of them were dissected for biological information. Oh, right. Mm. But they still do hold, along with Ronald Evans, the record for the longest amount of time spent in lunar orbit and the most lunar orbits at 75. Wow. There you go. See, that's, that's, that's interesting but sad that they were just brought back and dissected so they couldn't tell their story to the rest of the mice community. Mm, yeah. Imagine the stories they'd have had. Yeah, yeah. But no, not no. to be. Oh, well. Well, Ronald Evans still alive? We could ask him for his stories. Uh, Ronald Evans unfortunately died in 1990. Was he dissected as well for biological reasons? <laughs> <laughs> no, he was not. No. Go on then, Cyril. All right, go I'll go. It. My first fact. Paul Hertz, director of NASA Astrophysics, has a really iconic quote, I'm going to say now. The Milky Way is a soggy place. <laughs> the, this is the director of NASA Astrophysics. He actually said this. But the reasoning behind it, you know, classic words that were now going to live in my mind forever. But as we talked about before, water is one of the fundamental parts of biological reasoning is because from Earth, from telescopes that we have used, we can see water in interstellar clouds from which solar systems form. We can see water in disks of debris that are going to become planetary systems around stars. And we can see comets sort of dissipating as they get too close to, the, to a star and evaporate because they're made of ice. So the Milky Way is literally a soggy place because there is water everywhere. Now, if that's not a sign that life could exist in these places where there's water, Water. I don't know what is. So that, my fact is the Milky Way is a soggy place. Quite a cute fact when you think about it. Yeah. Like soggy that. is a bit of a sad word. Though. Moist would have been better. Moist. <laughs> the Milky Way is moist. Is moist. <laughs> the Milky Way is a damp, moist, soggy place. Thank you for that, Sarah. Uh, Ted, <laughs> your second fact. Oh yes, so my first fact was a little bit physics-y, so I thought I'd bring this one to a bit more biology. Trees is my fact. Trees, oh, trees proper, in space. Proper biology, that. Trees in space. Yeah. Yes, when we think of trees, what do you automatically think of? Green, I'll answer it for you. Green. <laughs> Green is what you think of. And, well, you may be surprised that the, the theories hold that green may not be the colour of trees in space, as green is obviously the most intense wavelength of light that we get here on Earth due to our sun. This may not be the same on other planets, and you can see this in the trees, obviously, in our world that are red. You get some red trees. Obviously, they still photosynthesize, but some colours will be more dominant to other wavelengths of light due to the sun and due to the environment that they're in. So, trees in space may not be green, and they may even be infrared trees. Whoa. If the sun Whoa. or the star that they're nearby has that as their dominant wavelength, then the, the tree colour may be in infrared. I don't know what that would look like, but 
Well, yeah, you may get a blue planet, another blue planet like Earth, but the blue planet may be full of trees, not water, because the trees might be blue. Ah. So I thought that was a cool fact in a biology. Wow. I like the idea of all these multicoloured trees across the planet. Yeah. Mm. We can't even see infrared, can we? So no. what, we wouldn't even know what that would look like. Yeah, be an invisible That's... tree. Invisible trees. Who's <laughs> uh, walking into them all the time. <laughs> you can imagine that's that probably like... why we've not found life on other planets. Great point. Maybe they're actually, maybe actually when we look at, you know, Mars, it's actually littered with trees. Yeah. But we just can't see them. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Right, okay, my second fact is very apt because I'm going to talk to you about alcohol in space. Mm. It's very, very uh, a pint of nature. So, NASA has always been quite strict about alcohol consumption in space. And the reason why. Because there's so many people. So many people that, that have had the opportunity. But there's, there are a few reasons why. And so one of them, actually, Cyril, is a, is a bit related to what you've just said. It's because of something wet. And that is that actually beer and other carbonated drinks are not actually suitable for space flight because the bubbles cause wet burps. Oh. Which is, which is not a nice thought. But also, the foamy head on a beer wouldn't be able to form. Can you think why? Oh. Well, there's no gravity. No gravity. So the bubbles don't rise. It's just no head. But despite the fact that there have been rules and regulations about drinking in space, there have still been experiments in making and keeping alcoholic drinks in space. And so far, many of them have been pretty... Well, they've been, they've been, they failed. In, in other words, conventional distillation is impossible in zero gravity. But Buzz Aldrin, I'm sure you've you've both heard of Buzz Aldrin, the second man on the moon. You know, you never oh. like to be famous for being the second person doing something. But I thought he was the wasn't he the new toy? Yeah, what was his what was his nemesis called? Zorg. 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 So July twentieth, nineteen sixty nine, he drank wine in space. Oh. because he wanted to take communion whilst on the lunar module. Oh, wow. So he drank wine whilst in space. And oh. He was the first person in the United States, certainly, to have drank alcohol in space. But it is a bit risky, because we do think that probably the effects of alcohol would be different in space than here. So we don't know in what way, but we do know that intoxication in space, being drunk in space, would be different from being drunk on Earth. Well, well, we should, well again, we should try it. They should send us up. Anyway. Sorrel, time for your final fact. Time for final fact. So we've had talk about thinking there's thinking there's a god or another life you know but there's possibility that celestial life can exist and that's because we've had indication that life with organic compounds can form outside of a planet with help of nearby stars not from stars themselves but just with help of them you know with the i guess their what they're made up of their their atoms and their pull from gravity and all that sort of stuff so the atacama large submillimeter array one of the largest telescopes on earth discovered organic compounds such as methanol and dimethyl ether were detected in two nebula in the large magenta in the in the large Magellanic in the large Magellanic Magellanic in the large Magellanic cloud. <laughs> That's why you saw two point <laughs> in the large Magellanic cloud. So given the right circumstances, these compounds could be able to form self-replicating molecules, which then become the basis of life for complex biological organisms. And they would technically evolve without the gravity of an actual planet. So therefore, we would have no idea what they look like. So because A, we'd have no idea what they look like. B, they would evolve in space, in nebula. They can be classed as celestial life forms. Not necessarily in the way that religion states celestial life forms to be, but they could very much exist. Mm. Mm. I like that fact very much, Cyril. Yeah, yeah. very nice. Very good. Space elephants. 
That's what we bring back. Forming to. off planet. Forming off planet. <laughs> you know, they would be they would be invincible. There's no stopping them. Like the size of a planet as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's no gravity to hold them back from their expansion as well. So they would just yeah. be it would be enormous. And that's all the facts, boys. So I think it's a it's a tricky one this week for our listeners. There are some good facts in there, I think. Well, that's for them to decide. But for now, have you decided whether you guys have, are fans of Dark Star or not? Oh, I definitely am. Yeah. Oh yeah, I definitely am. I definitely am. Oh yeah. I definitely oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, lads in their beers. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, they've they've done well here. I mean, we've we've had we've sampled what four different ones four between different us ones, tonight. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they've all been they've all hit the spot. They've all hit the spot. Yeah. So keep up the good work, Dark Star. And yeah. just like last week's Siren, they do also do brewery tours, and they're not that far away from us. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. but no excuse. We'll just have to go. Aren't they in Japan? No. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're owned by company. And they're owned by a company in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> brood here but yeah well thank you very much for joining us Tim well thank you thank you for having me hopefully I can come again yeah, yeah. it was great well as a dark star I guess has to do part with nature has to do as well it has to die out at some point fade away fade ah. away would you like to fade us away sign us off he's already faded <laughs> <laughs> that's it that's it for another week thank you very much for joining us we'll see you next week for our series finale would you believe it yeah. Not already. Season two finale. But for now, thank you very much and good night. Good night. Good night.